Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Thanks for tuning in. If you need more information, just go to jentaylor.net, where I have everything at your disposal from what it's like to live as a mom to 13 kids to my podcast, public speaking, coaching, or purchasing my book. All in one place, jentaylor.net, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Today I have with me Zaid Jawad. Zaid, how are you? I am doing absolutely fantastically today, Jen. Thanks. How about yourself? I'm awesome. I'm glad to have you on. Uh, Zaid and I met at a recent conference with Sean Stevenson. It was the 10K Speakers. A uh, really fun four-day event it ended up being. But uh, Zaid, you can be reached. I'm going to put this in the show notes, but I want to discuss this right now at vitalsignificance.com, which is your website. Yes. And tell me a little bit about what you do and what you offer through your website. So my website in one line is committed to building people's self-esteem. I like to do it in a very holistic manner. So I take the big concept of self-esteem on there and I look at the many different ways we can improve it through our health, through our social competence, and of course, through things like finding your purpose and worth. And you talked to me a lot at the conference about the science behind things. And I want to event at some point, I want to make sure we get into that. Um, but most of us who are, doing things to empower other people. Um, I do the same thing. A lot of the people that we met and talked to at the conference do the same thing. It's because we've gone through that. So tell me a little bit, where were you born? Uh, talk about your, uh, tell me about yourself because I haven't broached anything. So I want people to know who you are without having seen you before. Sure. Absolutely. So I'll paint a little picture. It was a very cold winter day when I was born. I was born in 1996, so that's back before the really good cell phones and all that good stuff. I know I'm sounding old, but I like to do that. So I was born in Champaign, Illinois, in a relatively small town over here. And when I was born, I was born as a pretty regular child to parents that had come over from the Middle East to fight the good fight and live the American dream and make things work well. I was their first child. And things were going great as a baby. They were happy. We were happy. And things were going nicely because they had come, my parents had come over, and were able to see what it was like to be free of oppression and all that good stuff. So we felt very blessed at that time. And as I was growing up, we started noticing that my body and my health was developing a little bit differently from other children. As a little, little child, I had skin that was really pallid, really pale, and started getting a lot of infections. So pediatricians would look at that and they saw, mm, it's kind of normal, he's unhealthy, but there's nothing going on. Fast forward a couple years, I'm about five years old, and the way my joints are structuring themselves and the way my organs are developing is really developing a prominent physical feature present. One pediatrician looked at that 
And she said, there's something different about this child. He's not growing like normal kids and it's not just any kind of unhealthy sickness. And she eventually led me to be diagnosed with an extremely rare genetic disorder called Hunter's syndrome. And this really laid the foundation in my life for a lot of struggles and a lot of learning too. This, because of the way that it had me in hospitals a lot and also altered my physical appearance, laid that bedrock for the theme that I'm so passionate about now for self-esteem, what it is, how it developed, and what we can do about it. Tell me a little bit about Hunter's syndrome. What are the, what are the features? H how does it manifest itself? Yeah, absolutely. So what pediatricians and doctors first start noticing is that the patient, myself in this case, their bones are not developing like other children. So if you were to see my hand, you would see that they don't extend, my fingers don't extend all the way. And the reason for this is that every single cell in my body is not functioning well because Hunter's, as a genetic disorder, tells my body to not produce a certain enzyme, which is responsible for breaking down waste. So let me paint a picture for you. If you can imagine a pipe, and a pipe is meant to have water move through it very smoothly. Well, with Hunter's syndrome, instead of water getting in there, you have a lot of mud getting in there. So it starts to fill that pipe up and the pipe can't function to move water and it is unable to function as it's supposed to. So my cells are unable to function, leading to, if you see my hand, fingers not being able to extend all the way and all the other organs, Jennifer, are not producing the, their optimal results. So my liver gets enlarged. A doctor will notice that your spleen, your, your stomach is actually protruding because of how big your organs are starting to get. Your hearing starts to degenerate. And your height, of course, you're not growing as well as other children, too. So... I've met you, so I've seen you. And when people go on your website, they can see that. But you, how tall are you? So I am a fun size of four foot ten. <laughs> just, just enough, just enough to make the roller coasters. Just enough. Yes, yes, you got the roller coasters. I see, I didn't even think to ask you that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what's the longevity of your disease? Does that, does it change that at all? Absolutely. So the, well, that's one of the biggest things that hit my family at a very crucial time was the doctor said he may not live past the age of 15 because Hunter's syndrome is what they call a degenerative disease. That means you only get worse over time. That waste that is not being broken down builds up in your body and can get into your neural cells. So into your brain, into your spine and can completely destroy patients, leaving you either dead or completely mentally and physically incapacitated. So I want to go, I want to talk about your childhood and the bullying in a minute, but first I kind of want to wrap up what we're discussing because part of the self-esteem is external. It comes from what people are saying and how they're treating you. And part of it is that internal battle. So you have 
uh, like you said, a rare disorder. Most people probably have no idea, like myself, that it even exists. So I'm very holistic in how I look at things also, but you have to look at things even differently than someone like myself that doesn't have a genetic disorder. So I, I remember talking to you a little bit, and I want you to talk about how what your health was like, because here you are as a normal kid and then a teenager with this low life expectancy, which has got to be like something hanging over you all the time. Oh, yeah. And tell me about your eating habits and because I know what my teenagers want to eat, <laughs> <laughs> regardless of what I have in the house and how healthy teenagers just in general are. Talk a little bit about that because I know at some point, a flip, a switch was flipped for you in that regard. So talk about that a little bit. Oh my goodness. You just opened up a can of worms. I know. I talk too much about this and it's a good thing because I love it. So when I was growing up, I had no idea what health was. I was always the guy that would say no to the broccoli and bring on the chicken nuggets. Chicken McNugget was my, was my middle name. If anybody out there is listening to this and they remember how they used to do those 50 McNugget challenges, <laughs> I was doing those. I was doing those. That was my diet. And that was throughout my childhood. All kinds of processed food because they were quick. They were easy. And even when my mom would try to spoon feed me some peas, I was running the other direction. Yeah, of course. So, of course, eating all these kind of foods was making my already suboptimal health even worse. Hunter syndrome causes you to have low energy, struggle with breathing, get sick a lot, but I made it a lot worse because I was eating foods that increased that inflammation and destruction in your body. So what happened, Jen, you said there was a switch and that's absolutely a beautiful way to describe it, was after my 15th surgery, when I was 15, I had a spinal fusion surgery. So I was unable to walk for a period of time. I found myself sitting there, unable to walk, not feeling good and not looking good as in I was overweight, sickly, and just plain miserable. So at that point, I really didn't have much else to do as it was a gift to just sit there and think. And I thought, you know, I need to at least try to stack the conditions in my favor here. If I can't move, if I cannot get up and go play outside, then let me at least focus on what I'm doing every day. I'm already eating these jumbo meals. Let me change them. Let me make a difference in my life through that way. That's when the switch happened. So I know as a parent, I try really, really hard to get my kids to eat healthy. Not all parents, if the parents aren't eating healthy and feeling holistic, the kids aren't. And the majority of families aren't eating healthy. What, was it a battle with your parents also? For my were they, parents. Were they trying to get you to eat healthy and you were just being a normal teenager or were you, was the switch for everyone? Yeah, it was accepted as normal to eat in that way, especially since my parents had come from the Middle East. So they weren't really exposed to, you know, the more health, more health conscious. I put it in quotes because more health conscious here in America. So it was considered normal. They did try to get me to eat some more veggies, but at the point that I was at, the drastic shift that I made, cutting out all processed foods, sugar, and all that good stuff, that was actually a battle to get other people to accept that about me. 
Okay, that I was kind of curious about that because support plays a huge part in this. And I know you've had good support, but that is a big switch for everyone involved. Mm. So now I'm going to go back in time because you you're 410. You probably reached your height like 18, like most people do. Most boys do. Correct. Mm. So we're, let's talk about there's normal issues that kids grow up uh, starting, I'd say, in junior high school. If I could skip any two years of my kids of all kids lives it would be that seventh and eighth grade it's just yes. really god it's so hard so you're going through normal stuff um bullying self-esteem body image um you're going through a lot of illnesses and surgeries like you said on top of that and then normal like dating girls are always excited about getting boobs you know i mean like this is the normal stuff for you what was that like Oh my goodness. For me, that was, that was extremely challenging. Those two, those three years in middle school were absolutely, absolutely the most difficult, turmoiled, interesting years of life. Because during that time, I was getting exposed to things like girls and guys are meant to be together. Whoa, what is that? And especially since my, my friends were dating and holding hands and passing cards and all that good stuff. <laughs> so as I started getting into that world, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame the media a little bit here for expanding it even more. So you have all the, the sexuality and all kind of these deeper relationships. I was trying to understand where my place was in it. Because although I was an outside observer of all of this, I was never really in it. And I was starting to question myself, why? Started coming to that question, why? What am I doing? Do I need to be part of it? And if I do, how do I be part of it? So it was a big period for me of questioning and questioning and a lot of just, you know, riding, riding the bus and just imagining what would it be like? How, how, how could I find somebody that would give me a card or give me a flower or a candy gram if you have ever heard of that in middle school. And that was, that was really what it was like in, in, in there for me. So normal stuff, but definitely exaggerated due to the fact that you are having surgeries. You're recovering a lot, I would guess. You said mm -hmm. you had 15 surgeries oh, yeah. when you were 15? Mm-hmm. And big surgeries. I mean, spinal fusion is not something small. Right, right, right. For those who don't who don't know, they cut out your spine and replace it with titanium rods. It's not small stuff, for sure. Right. So you're healing and kind of going through that, and at the same time, learning all the normal stuff that kids learn about boy meets girl, girl meets boy, boy likes girl, all of mm -hmm. that stuff. So this, your self-esteem was taking a hit that other kids, bigger than other kids. Yes, absolutely. And the, the reason for that, Jenna, as I reflect on it now, is because I was feeling because I had the condition, I wasn't even worthy of getting into that stuff. Like, I could read about it, but, and I understood on an intellectual level, yeah, I'm supposed to be able to have partners and things like that. But that, that stage of my life laid that foundation for that question, am I even worthy? of being part of that sphere of life. Right. The whole finding a maid, having a girlfriend, the whole mm -hmm. thing. 
which I think all of us go through to some degree, but you're, you're definitely battling issues that we don't even understand. I mean, I can't understand spinal fusion because it's not part of my world. And you're battling things that are so much bigger and more difficult. At the same time, you were, I remember you talking about how people would, would look at you because you were smart, you were brilliant. You, you capitalized on your ability to be intellectual. Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I had the gift of being able to do very well in school, especially middle school. It was very easy for me to do well in my classes. And on top of that, because I had the condition, I had a lot of accommodations from teachers. So they were a lot more lenient for me, which made me very esteemed in the eyes of some students. They're like, wow, this guy's, he's not even the teacher's pet. The teachers love him and they give him good grades and they give him good advice and they invite him to these pizza parties and all this stuff. I want to be part of that. So that's how people saw me as kind of a conduit to other things. And as this really interesting guy that can somehow maintain a positive nature, although he has all these things going on. Because a lot of people, you can, you can see my condition. It's not something I can hide very well. So people knew there was something going on here, even bullies at a point. I think that's a, a really big thing that I, I like to share with people is that even bullies that used to call me names and all this kind of things, would start seeing me as a person that I maintain my positivity. So then instead of, you know, trying to trying to put some ice to trip me, instead of giving high fives by the end of the second year. Okay. So you actually had a switch in the bullying because people related to you or stood behind you or supported you. They 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 saw that no matter what they did, I was still going to show them love. They saw that even if so here's a great great illustration I like to show people. So we have these tests. I know everybody knows what a test day feels like in middle school. Every student's nervous, everybody's ready to go. And all of a sudden you hear a voice, hey, who's got a pencil? Well, this is the class bully saying that. And of course, none of the other students wanna, they know who he is and what he does. So I take out my pencil and give it to them. All of a sudden I've formed a connection that nobody else does with them. And that was a strong point. So you kind of triumphed and got through that childhood bullying through just being positive and loving towards Absolutely. Them. Okay. So that's a great, that's a, that's a great tool. So the biggest thing, I'm going to ask you a super bold faced question through all those surgeries, through all of the pain, which I'm certain there was excruciating levels of pain through. Oh, yeah through all the normal stuff, the feeling unworthy, was suicide ever a thought? That is a very powerful question. And for the sake of your audience out there, I would say yes, not during middle school, but during end of high school, when I was going on my spiritual journey, I remember very well standing in the shower and thinking, you know, this. I need to be done with this because I can't take the pain, the pain of trying to find who I am, the pain of dealing with its worthiness. At that point in my life, I can't believe it was only a few years ago. I didn't think I should be here. Cause you're, you're turning 21 this year. Is that yes. right? Yeah. I've got kids your age. So yes. Um, there's a lot of pressure socially 
just in this day and age different from what it was when I was the same age in that generation, social media, every, everybody being looking like they have this perfect life that you can't ever, <laughs> it's a lie, but we still, it's hard to believe that when you're the one looking at it, feeling like you don't have your act together. So then having a lot that you had to go through now, I want to fast forward a little bit through high school. You've had your 15th surgery at 15. Have you had surgery since then in the last five or six years? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, right after that surgery, I had, I did the spinal fusion over again shortly after, and then I did a brain surgery and I had a hernia surgery done recently completing. Now I have 20 surgeries at age 20. Well, so it's good, good for you for doing one a year. That's I know. I love that. Because now I can, I, can, I can say that this is good marketing. 2020 vision. 2020. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So when you started making changes and looking at things holistic, you decided something had to change. At what age were you when you decided something had to change with diet, exercise, stuff like that? That was when I was 15. Okay. So what that was a that's a huge undertaking huge undertaking so where did you start and what did that journey look like for you so the way it started honestly was completely through vanity superficial <laughs> i hated being fat because before then i had at least worked out work out as much as a hunter's patient can which meant kind of walking around lifting a couple dumbbells but that was enough to keep my body looking relatively fit. So my, when I gained a lot of weight from not being able to move and from eating worse than I ever had, the first thing I started thinking, yeah, I don't like the way this looks. I'm watching these martial arts movies and I'm like, I want to be cool. So, so that's, that's the honest answer of how it started. I just wanted a better body. And as that developed, however, as I started realizing, well, some of these workout muscle milkshakes and things like that are not working very well. I'm feeling worse. <laughs> As I started realizing that, I was like, okay, I need to switch again. I need to try to find a way that works. And that's when I started going into this holistic idea that you need to eat clean foods, not just foods that will help you build muscle. You need to sleep well, not just see how long you can stay up without falling down. And with that, that began my health journey. I started going into, since I liked martial arts at the time, I started looking at Eastern martial arts, so Kung Fu and philosophies like that. Because again, at first, it looked cool. But as I started reading the book, getting exposed to this way of life of thinking, oh, you can start, what, what is this concept of letting go of the past, of living in the moment? These are the first time I'd ever heard of mindfulness and presence and these things. So it opened the door for me, Janet, absolutely opened the door for me. Right I, think, I think that journey is really similar to a lot of people. Vanity is a great place to start. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a great place to start because all of us are, I mean, we all have a level of vanity. Nobody, I don't think people sit around thinking, you know, I want to look as bad as I possibly can yeah. today, you know? And so, but you're right. Uh, eating just to, gain muscle isn't healthy any more than eating McNuggets is healthy. It's really a bigger picture than that. So what a great journey though. So you 
you, your religion, you looked into different religions, correct? That, mm-hmm. was, that was part, okay, there's a health part, and then there's, there's a physical health, and then the emotional mental health. And the emotional mental health, you want a journey for religion. Did you look into a lot of different ones? Yes, I absolutely did. So give a little background to anybody who's listening. I was born and raised Muslim, so in Islam. And my parents were never very strict. So if, if those of you that know about Islam know you five, pray five times a day, fast for, during a certain month and all this good stuff. And we did some of it, but it was never very strict. So growing up, I didn't have a very strong connection to the religious practice, but I had a very strong connection to the idea of the creator, of God, of Allah, as we say in Islam. But during that really difficult period, going through middle school and getting into high school, of course, the questions started coming. You know, what is this all about? Isn't a religion supposed to be helping you feel better? Isn't it supposed to be make, taking you somewhere more than you are, especially as, as we all know, Islam is not always portrayed well. And so at that period, I'm reading these books on Buddhism and Zen and Chinese medicine. I'm like, man, these guys have it down. They have it nailed. Like My religion, I, I don't understand what's in it. My religion has these practices that are used for oppression and what's so oppressive about meditation. So I'm starting to get these thoughts. And not only do I look into Zen Buddhism, I start seeing Native American religions. Oh my goodness. I can walk around and connect to the creator through every step that I take, especially outside in nature. My goodness, what a beautiful thing. Okay, I got that. And what about this Hinduism? What about this Buddhism? What about, and so I'm really and I'm getting exposed to so many different ways of life. And I, I take those, and if I imagine I'm holding all those books in one hand, and I'm holding my religion in one hand, what, what's going on here? Why is all this looking so good? And why is this so heavy and ununderstandable and arcane, which means secret? At that period, that is where I was. I was very uncertain about what my faith was, but I was very certain that I had faith. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I think that's super common. A- absolutely common. Um, I think that's why people sometimes feel like they don't fit. And I, I think it's so much bigger than just not fitting. I-, I mean, part of it is finding the religion that fits the best, even if that's just a general spirituality. Um, but yeah, it makes sense. So you really started to study, you started to study Islam also. Yes. Oh, yeah. So I, I had to give it a shot, as, as you might say, because there's a lot of people following it and there must be something to it. And as I started listening to, especially the, the recitation of the Holy Book, which is recited in an almost musical manner, I started feeling something in my heart and I wasn't sure at the time what it was, but I knew I couldn't live without it. I knew there was something, something deep in this. And so as I started studying Islam, I started noticing that most, if not all of the best of the other religion were somewhere in there. Maybe there was a a prophetic saying 
that talked about reliance on God, which I would find in other religions. Maybe there was a part in the Holy Quran, which is the religious book, that talked about how we are part of nature too. So that's connecting the Native American spirituality. And as I started looking into it, I started realizing that this religion of Islam for me was a beautiful combination of the best of some of the other religions and gave me a system so I would be able to do it over and over again in a very concise, practical, and consistent manner. Perfect. And I think, I mean, I teach my kids that almost every religion is sharing all of the same things in their own way. And it's a matter of finding the place really that you fit the best, that speaks to you the loudest, uh, where you feel the most comfortable. Because it really, all, all of them are telling you the same thing. And, yep. you know, they all have that. So you've, your um, mental, emotional, spiritual journey took you right back to where you started, which was in the <laughs> religion that you were raised in, yes. sort of. And then you learned how to make that your own. And now on top of that, with the way that you were feeling unworthy previously, I know in the times that I, well, I think that we all attract where we are and who we are. Mm -hmm. So were you dating at that time and just attracting people that were not healthy? At that time, I was not even dating. Okay. I was so terrified of the opposite gender that the only dates were happening inside my mind. Those were the only dates because the level of fear that I had of the opposite going and interacting with, with women and, and then young, 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 young women was absolutely off the charts. Like I had no idea how to interact with women. No clue at all. Well, you're just turning 21. Most uh, men at 40 don't know how. So to <laughs> we're, we're not always easy to approach, so that's okay. No, but at, at least right now, I, I, have, I have done some reading. I know, I know this may sound strange, but I have actually, I love to do reading on how the mind of the opposite gender works and how my male brain works. And I understand at least a little bit of how to say the right things and do the right things. And you were, but the women that you found yourself attracted to were yeah. probably women that were not healthy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> very, up to very recently, still, uh, just, just, just this year actually, I was finding myself attracted to women on a point that many other men may recognize this, Finding women that I had to save. Oh, yeah, that's that's the those are the best. You always yeah. went around like <laughs> yes, because I was, at first I was thinking, if she's not healthy, maybe I can teach her to be healthy. <laughs> oh, what a giver! <laughs> I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm very, very, very generous and chivalrous in that way. It makes me feel manly. Right, but in the end, you can't save anyone who doesn't want saving, and it's it's a personal journey for each of us, right? Right, and and so the women that I was attracted to, not only physically unhealthy, I, I actually have met very few physically healthy women that eat in the same way that I do, and I'm talking emotionally unstability. 
I'm right. talking relationship instability. I'm talking about family problems. Oh my goodness. It, it was such a thing that reflected the worst of what I never wanted to be. Right. So you talked a little bit about, like you said, educating yourself on relationship, what positive ones look like. What about your parents? That is a great question. Because as we well know, the relationships our parents share, the only relationship we see for a long time. And I'm gonna be very real here with you, very honest. I wasn't seeing in the relationship with my parents what I envision as a relationship for myself. Now, it wasn't in the sense of like domestic violence or, or those kind of cases that many women go through, but it wasn't the hardcore, you understand me, I understand you kind of relationship that I wanted to see. So I didn't unfortunately have that in my life. I saw a relationship of struggle. I saw a relationship of getting through things, which as I look at it is a, is a beautiful thing. But with my parents, I did not see the relationship I wanted to see. Which is difficult because you're right, we're, we're modeling, right? So you were, you were educating yourself about what relationship, because positive relationship can mean a million different things. Like you said, you eat a certain way, your religion is a certain religion, you're, um, you're facing, you're going to continue to face issues with Hunter syndrome. There's... There's all these things that, so your positive relationship doesn't look like my positive relationship, but they can be equally as satisfying and nurturing. So you, you've educated yourself on what you want ahead of time, what you're looking for. And you told, you, you told me that give, gave you a sense of control. How did that give you a sense of control in looking at what you wanted? I am so glad that you asked that because I think that that is really one of the most important things for anybody seeking a relationship or already in a relationship is to have a vision of what they want in one. And I'll tell you why. Again, we know growing up, I felt very, very, very unworthy. In fact, even up to this year, I had never had the same commitment to a positive relationship. And when I started growing through this period, I had this image in my mind that I was either not supposed to have a woman or the woman that I wanted, just a fantasy. And whatever I get will be what the cards are dealt to me. We talk about this thing of control. We talk about taking charge of your life and really making a difference where you are and making the most of what you have and being able to actually write down on a piece of paper what physical qualities you're looking for, what emotional style, what communication style. Oh my goodness, how much of a beautiful sense of control that gives you. Because all of a sudden, you've just gone in a single five-minute paper session from a person who is completely lost, undirected, and feels like you're just waiting for something to happen to at least I know what I want so that when I see it, I will know how to grab it and take advantage of it and understand how precious it is to me. 
So I was given advice uh, 1989 when I went to my second year of college. This was pre-Zade birth, you know. Uh, <laughs> I was given advice to do that very thing, write down what you want. And now it's the same thing. I'm going to compare relationships to buying a house. But when you want to buy a house, you can write a list of what you're looking for. How many bedrooms, how many baths, how much property. And you know that if you have five things on them, if you can get three or four, you're doing pretty well. Because sometimes I think I still have my list. Uh, it's been rewritten because time has passed. Not rewritten in what I want, but it just the paper wears out, you know. Mm -hmm. But what I want today in a relationship is the same thing I wanted in 1989, knowing that you can't always get what you want. I'm with one of the nicest people I have ever met. But see, I want somebody six foot two because I'm five foot nine, right? Uh -huh. and, and Dane's five foot ten and a half, you know, on a good day. <laughs> so all I'm saying is in that writing of what you like, and my physical list really, except for height, I just wanted somebody that wanted the same sort of lifestyle. Exactly. Um, so physically, that meant you were in better shape because you lived a healthier lifestyle. You ate a cleaner diet, whatever those things mean, right? And I remember one of the first things I put on my list was that I wanted somebody who had a sense of humor. Everyone has a sense of humor. Not everyone makes you laugh. Yes. <laughs> so the list is great, and it does. It gives you goals. And when you're dating somebody that's not healthy and you look at your list, it's very apparent that that person doesn't have what you're looking for. And I think it kept me more on the path of weeding out, I guess I would say. So I love that. I love that you did that. That's the advice I would give to people. And it, it is, it's interesting. You say it gives you a sense of control. It really does. I never looked at it that way though. It, it does because in, in the end, like, like you're saying here, Jen, you may very well not find exactly what you're looking for but at least you know what you want. And, and for so many people, that's actually one of the fundamental questions of humanity, of being a human is, what do I want? So you have just scratched the surface of doing that, at least for that fear in your life. And it is so empowering, it really is. And you, you realize what you're willing to let go of. I mean, I would rather have the nicest person that I can ever imagine being with that meets all of these other criteria and makes me laugh, who's five foot ten and a half, over somebody who's a jerk that's six foot two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This, you really start to realize where you're, what things are important to you and why. And at the sense of worth, you know, that whole area of feeling worthy you'll start to have something to look at. And, and again, kind of like in our earlier conversation, nobody looks at themselves like, I'm gonna look bad today. Same thing here. If you are looking for a relationship, you're probably not gonna write down, yeah, I'm looking for somebody that's controlling. I'm looking for somebody that's unstable. I'm looking for somebody that just doesn't take care of them. You're not gonna see that. So again, that's that rewiring, reframing. Or what do you call it, Jen? Rerouting. Rerouting. Um, <laughs> yes. That's right. So you're doing the emotional, mental, spiritual, physically. How how long did it take you physically? You did so, you did enormous changes in your diet to eat on a more holistically geared. How did that make you feel? Did stuff taste bland? People really complain about making those changes, and then you hit a point where it's just 
it's just who you are. So tell me about your journey in the diet and the weight loss and the exercise a little bit more. Okay, absolutely. So I'm going to say I was very blessed because I was at such a period of pain that anything would have been better. So if I, if I eat, even, even today, if I eat something that's, that's I'm sensitive to, the pain is enough to floor me. But beyond that, the feelings of you're starting to get more energy and you're starting to look better. Look better is was a big, big, big part of it. Starts to give you, again, that sense of control that maybe I can do more in my life. So another, another factor of Hunter's syndrome is being stiff all the time. So if anybody could imagine me, I kind of would be like the Tin Man, where my shoulders would be all the way up because my joints are just so stiff. And that was just a way of life for me. It's going to sound really weird, but I had never felt what my armpit feels like because of how uh, far up my arm was. So my shoulder was so stiff that my arms didn't connect to my, the side of my body. So when I started exercising in the right way, which I can get into, and started eating in the right way, that stiffness starts disappearing. The waist, in effect, is starting to get broken down and you feel like a new person. I mean, I still wake up these days like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I am feeling my arms, this fluidity, because it gets better. It's not like, for example, the a holistic lifestyle doesn't mean I'm just gonna lose weight so I can crash diet and look good for some wedding, but it means you're committed every single day to feeling better, to being better, to thinking better, to growing better, to moving better. And that's what it is like, for me, and that's what it was like for me, always. How can I get better? Because especially with a degenerative disease, if you're not getting better, you're either in the same place or you're getting worse. And for you, what's longevity looking like now? Because they told your parents you probably wouldn't live past 15. At 15, your health wasn't good. It wasn't, yeah. You're making changes, and you're right. I mean, all of us, when you start, and it takes time. And yes, food's going to taste bland for a while, and... No, it's, and it's going to be hard to give up the stuff that you like, but you do hit a point where that becomes easier. And then you get hit a point where you don't even think about it anymore because you feel so great. That's addictive. And for you, that, that, that was so much bigger than for most of us and all of us can feel it. So how, what are doctors telling you now? They, they don't. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> They're, they're, they're pretty surprised, actually. And because I was selected to have this enzyme therapy when I was about 10 years old, they believed that it was the enzyme that they were giving me this. I get a weekly infusion every single week where the nurse comes in, puts in a needle, and I have to get an infusion for three hours every week. And what this does is it slows or halts the progression of the disease. Wow. However, however, because it's such a, it's not very understood, they don't know the side effects, and it doesn't help you in much else. So you can still get worse uh, physically. Because we, we, we know there's a big difference between being unhealthy and then near death. So it saved me from being near death, but it didn't mean that I wasn't going to be able to be unhealthy for the remainder of the period of time. Longevity for now, for, for me right now, 
it's looking great. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know because the effects of this enzyme have not been studied. But with that, I believe that I am feeling better. I am shooting for 120. Because <laughs> scientifically, your organs have a, lot, a lifespan of about 120 years. So as long as I believe as long as I maintain this and take that attitude of going and improving and getting better, I don't see a limit. And God knows best. Which is fantastic because you've, you're treating yourself. You're right. I mean, all, all medica any medication, even if it's holistic and if it's doing great things, you still are responsible for the rest of your health. That only goes so far. And so you've taken control of that. So you started seeing weight loss. You started seeing your body could move better. So you were able to exercise more. I was able to go from not being able to walk a block without running out of breath to being able to run at a period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, God, how phenomenal is that? So you've taken everything, everything, the cards you've been dealt, you've made it as good as you can. You've changed your mindset. And then you made other changes. You, you had depression and despair. Mm. Uh, and that you took that energy and people were telling you to write a blog. What were they telling you to write a blog about and why did it take you seven years? <laughs> <laughs> it takes all of us a while, but why did it take so long and what made, what was the final step that made you start the blog? Okay. So you opened another can of worms, Jen. Good deal. So what happened as I was getting healthier I was so passionate, so excited about this diet and lifestyle program that I was on. So I started spewing it blah, all over the place to everybody. And of course, that made some people upset, as it does. But also, it started making some people be like, yeah, this looks really good. This is, this is great. So I remember there was, a, there was a teacher in high school that was telling me to start a blog. And he was telling me, you know, this is really good stuff, how you're losing weight and you're getting better. You should write about it. And I said, eh, yeah, sure, that sounds, that sounds interesting. But I, I didn't, I barely knew what a blog was at the time. So I started trying to show him the dietary aspects. So this is what I do. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll buy the book right now. And he did. But then, as all of us well know, enthusiasm and motivation can only take you so far. So at that time, I started a, a really tiny, tiny blog that's not heard of anymore. It's called Soaring Harmony. It, stuck, it was at like Blogspot or something like that. And I started that and didn't even know what to write. But I said, I told the man, I started it. And he was, yeah, congratulations. My heart was for him to change his diet because he was, he was overweight. So I was just really feeling, yeah, I can prove something if I can help this guy. And so I just kept giving him information, kept giving him information. And anybody in the coaching world knows that that's not the way to do it. You don't just force feed people information. So over time, he did not do the program. And I was crushed. Because again, at this period of time, my self-esteem was really oscillating. I was very much basing my worth on what other people thought of me and what other people 
had of my successes. So I felt like his failure was mine. And I was like, if I can't help this guy, I can't help anybody. Quit on that blog. I don't know what I'm doing here. I feel like being outside in nature a heck of a lot more than working with people. So I, I shut it down because at that period, I was still trying to go through those questions of who am I, what am I here for, and what do I feel good? Like I was going by feeling. So I was thinking, I feel a lot better outside in nature than going inside and trying to talk to people and be at school and all these things that are so complicated and beautifully human. I didn't see it like that. And so I, I shelved that bad boy. I shelved that and I had no idea what it was like. So we'll fast forward. A couple of years back, I see myself standing on top of a little hill. I have no shirt on. I am barefoot and I had climbed up. This was my first year of college. I climbed up there. It's a very hot day and pouring sweat. And I look around me at a big prairie. I'm looking there. I look at the rest of the creation. It's beautiful. And I'm feeling a combination of things. I'm feeling angsty. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling in awe. And at that period of time, I start looking and asking if all the rest of this creation has such a purpose, has such potential, such beauty and majesty, just honest, they're so successful in what they do, don't I have the potential to do the same? It's a very spiritual process. And through that, I thought, no matter what, after this day, I cannot continue to live my life for myself. It's awesome. Jen, I'll, I'm going to be honest with you. It's, it's awesome to live outside with nature. I was at a point of my time where I could identify everything I needed to eat. I could learn how to build a fire. I could learn how to make a shelter. I was feeling very primal, very robust. And I was perfectly content with living outside on my own, not in being interacting with people. But I did not believe that was my purpose after that day. When I was in college, it was that period of time where I would go to class and straight outside as soon as I can. And even during class, grades going bam, down C's, D's, F's, all that good stuff. After that day, I realized that there is no way that I was going to fulfill my purpose by being ineffective in life and not being able to interact with people. No matter what, I have to not only shape myself into the best I can be, but I have to learn how to take that because that's a challenge. Take that and package it in a way that is understandable, in a way that is actionable, and in a way that makes sense to as many people as I can. So that's when I started another blog that went pretty good and started getting me a little bit of attention. I started going to workshops and all kinds of fun stuff that started getting me on this more solid path than I was on before. And then when did you, then you decided somewhere in there, I mean, you're doing a lot of work on yourself and then you start to realize the difference and immediately, of course, we want to shout it out to the world, but the world doesn't want to listen. So you have to, you're right. You have to back off and uh, kind of just be an example, let people come to you. And then you've continued your journey of, um, 
like going to conferences and workshops and learning and growing and pushing yourself with fears like public speaking, mm -hmm. um, learning that a lot of it is in the attitude that we have that we can't control the exterior, everyone else, the things around us to a great degree, but we do have control of ourselves. And then who was your mentor? Ah, uh, I won't say his name. Okay. That's fine. Because he was the type of person that doesn't necessarily want everybody to know who he was. However, also the type of person that he was, was a person who listened. Now, I say that with great simplicity, but it's, as many of us well know, it's something that can be so valuable and is often not found in our lives. So at that period of time in college, when I'm deciding, you know, I've got to practice my public speaking skills, I've got to become interpersonally fit. At that period of time, I had just finished a personal quest of something called rejection therapy, which there's a great book out there by Jia Jiang, where he talks about this principle of rejection therapy. How do you put yourself in scenarios where people will say no to you? So I asked myself, what am I most terrified of? Speaking with opposite gender was one. Forming a group and being a leader was two. The gender was out of there, the, the opposite gender thing. That was, that was too much for me at the time. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go up to people and ask them to be part of a group for myself. So I go and ask people in my college. I go up to random students. I'm terrified. I'm shaking. I'm nervous. I'm sweating. I'm hearts racing. I go over and I ask people, you want to join this? And people say, oh, sure, sure. They give me their contact. And it turns out to not be as bad as I thought it was. So, of course, right there, my, my confidence goes up. So I thought, okay, I want to start getting these things called speaking engagements. I want to go speak for my college. And at the time, I had probably done one speech. I spoke at my high school for a disability awareness month, but I had no idea that I wanted to be a public speaker or anything. But it was something I was terrified of. So I go into my college office of student life, and there's a man there. And I go up to him and I tell him, you know, I want to speak at this college. Who can I talk to to do that? He looks at me very quizzically, kind of one of those powerful moments where like something's happening here. He pauses and he gives me his business card and he says, email me. So I emailed him and he was seen again at a, at a kind of banquet that I was present at. And he came up to me and he said, hey, where's that email? And I told him I sent it and he was, he was just joking with me. And he said, have you ever had the color of your hearing aids? I wear hearing aids change. I was like, what in the world? This guy is really weird. And he said, yeah, I told him, yes, yes, I, I have. And at that time he said, well, I have a son that's deaf. So that was very powerful because all of a sudden it created a connection between him and I that he didn't have with all the other students at that banquet that we were at. The next day he calls me into his office and he sits me down and he says, Zane, I want you to tell me your story. And this was the first, one of the first people that had ever done that. If anybody has not had somebody tell them to tell your story, you need to find somebody because that can change your life. I'm blessed with this podcast now, but at that time, he asked me that. And not only did he say, oh yeah, that's cool. He said, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. 
you really started getting into who I was as a person with your religion and all that good stuff. And as he started getting into who I was, I had the courage somehow. I asked him, would you be my mentor? And he looked at me and he shook my hand. He said, absolutely. And that started a relationship with him where he would, again, keep calling me into his office and setting me up for working with him in periods where he would do that one thing more than anybody else, which was to listen. He listened to me. And because he was the kind of guy, he was great at public speaking. He was, everybody loved him, very powerfully interpersonally effective. I started looking at him as a role model. He was one of the first men in my life that I had been able to really say, I want to be like him. And that right there changed everything for me because he invited me to, to work in the same office that he was the director of. No interview, no nothing. Boom. He started finding opportunities for me to meet people and be part of groups. And he guided me in a way that I had never received guidance, listened to me as in a way that I had never been listened to and encouraged me. He told me, you're going to be something great. And although other people had said that in the past, he was the only one who exemplified greatness and then was saying it to me. So I started to believe that it might be true. So in this whole process, you started your website, which is vitalsignificance.com, and you put your story on there. Um, you also, you have Facebook and Twitter, all normal social media stuff. Yeah. But you launched this website, and what is the purpose now of the website and what you're doing? Absolutely. So when I first started Vital Significance, I had no idea what I was doing with it. The whole business aspect of it and all that good stuff. I had no idea what I was trying to do. I was just trying to get my story out there. It started out actually as another website name. It was really confusing. But then as I started going back to that principle of you need to learn to package all you've learned in your life into something good, that's where the name Vital Significance came from. Through the purpose of helping others find their purpose and build their self-esteem. So, I'm gonna repeat. The words vital significance comes from an old English phrase that meant something was super, super important. People would say, this is a vital significance. So, when people would say that, it denoted that that thing, that element was very important. So, the purpose of vital significance is to show other people that they are vitally significant. You are of vital significance. You are worthy of a, being a human being, of a, being a great role model, of being successful. That is the whole purpose of vital significance, to take science so I can attack your logical brain. I mean, speak to your logical brain. To take deep spiritual wisdom so I can speak with your heart and to share my experience so I can tell you that we're on the same page. So you're feeling pretty good with where you're at right now. I am feeling excellently with where I am right now. Not every day. You know, I, I never want people to 
expect that I'm always positive, but I can do it for an hour and a half or so. <laughs> well, the biggest thing I think all of us learn as entrepreneurs and in public speaking and someone made a difference to you and you want to pay it forward is that it's not a one and done. You it, Getting through self-esteem or past issues, you, you don't arrive at a destination where it's all good and Ugh. And you're there. It is an ongoing battle. It's just that if uh, I'll give you an example, a college professor said, um, you know, I just have to be a chapter ahead. We just have to be a chapter ahead in our lives to be able to turn back and bring someone on that journey with us. So I always think of things as getting a chapter ahead. Just get another chapter ahead. That's all. I agree completely. And I, I, I love that that point that you say it's not all it's not all one and done because as you and I are talking here, Jen, we're making this whole issue of low self-esteem, struggling with relationships. How am I going to please a woman? How, how am I going to please my parents? How am I going to think we're speaking about it? But it seems easy. It sounds like, oh yeah, overcome suicidal thoughts. Yes. Beautiful. However, I really want anybody that's listening to this to understand that if you are on the floor and you are feeling like things are crushing you, that is okay. That does not mean you're, you're wrong or there's something wrong with you. In fact, that means there's something coming. And I think that that's what we really want to emphasize to people. So Zay, people can find you through, what's the easiest way? Is the website the easiest way? Is Facebook the easiest way? Yeah, absolutely. The website, vitalsignificance.com, go there. I respond pretty quickly on Facebook too. Those are the best ways to reach me. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being open and honest. I really appreciate you and enjoy our time together. Jen, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love you and I love all the people that are listening to this and I love to see everybody succeed. Thank awesome. you. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.